So, Josh, this story started about four years ago after a shooting in the United States. Yeah, that's right. The U.S. authorities had the cell phone of one of the shooters. It was an iPhone, and they could not get into it because it had a passcode on it. But the interesting thing about that was that it spoke to how secure an Apple iPhone was at the time. And then you found something, this spyware that gets past the passcode, and it shows up as a text message with a link. That's the bait. That's what Pegasus is, the software's way. And once you do click, forget about it. They can control everything. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. And this week, we're talking about Pegasus. It's the spyware that Josh Rushing and his team at Faultlines investigated. The Faultlines team sits next to me in the Al Jazeera office in Washington, D.C. And as a documentary team based here in the U.S., they uncover a lot of scary topics. But I'll be honest, this topic in particular made me extra nervous. It's about our phones, those pieces of technology that we all have in our hands at almost any given time during the day. And I wanted to know a couple of things. What is Pegasus, the spyware that can control everything on our phones? And why would anyone want to do that? So I asked Josh how he got started on this in the first place. So I interviewed all these hackers who said, you know, I was asking them how you could possibly hack an iPhone. And I went to interview a computer specialist who works with Citizen Lab. We're on our way to meet Bill Marchek. And Citizen Lab, we should probably explain, is based at the University of Toronto in Canada. And they study this interaction between technology and global security, but also human rights. He's doing his dissertation on government surveillance and dissidents in the Middle East. He's actually one of the authors of this report on this attack on an iPhone. And we want to see if we can get some more details about what happened there. Hey, Bill. Hey, Josh Russian with Fault Lines, how are you? I'm just trying to uh, test this guy's phone in, uh, in the UAE to see if it's infected. And he was so excited. He had received, it just happened, a text message from a guy that he'd worked with, a democracy activist in the United Arab Emirates. And this is a message that Bill took it seriously because he knew this activist named Ahmed Mansour had been hacked twice before. So I've been in touch with Ahmed Mansour, uh, a dissident in the United Arab Emirates, for quite some time now. And Ahmed Mansour is known because he has this reputation as a big defender of human rights in the UAE. And we've heard him at conferences and things like that, speaking out about the UAE, arresting their own citizens for talking about human rights. The UAE authorities decided to close an online discussion forum and taken two of its writers to jail. One of the writers... And Josh, you're saying these kinds of appearances made Ahmed himself a target. So when he gets a weird message on his phone, he gets nervous and reaches out to Bill, the Citizen Lab guy. And at around, I guess, 1.30 a.m. on August 10th, I got this message from him saying, hey, Bill, I've, I got a weird SMS. So Bill sets up a rigged phone uh, to a computer, clicks on the link. For about 10 seconds, nothing happened. 
And then I saw that the, the web browser, Safari, just closed. It exited spontaneously. It's very weird. That is very weird. And the computer allows him to see what the phone is doing. And then the phone just kind of stayed, you know, on the, the home screen. Nothing was really happening on the phone. Uh, but meanwhile, on my laptop screen, the log of events was going crazy. There was lots of messages being sent and received. It looked like something was being downloaded and installed on the iPhone. What is happening? The phone is essentially kind of jailbreaking itself and opening itself up to someone remotely somewhere to control it. What had happened was there was an exploit, actually, what's called a zero-day remote jailbreak. Very, very rare. It's been kind of the stuff of legend. No one has ever seen one in the wild. But it turned out that's exactly what we were looking at. Bill said it's literally like seeing a unicorn. The first time anyone had witnessed outside of, I guess, the this, this secret shadowy world of these kind of cyber tech firms, an iPhone being remotely jailbroken and being taken over by a remote user without the owner of the iPhone being able to tell in any way. Were you shocked? Had you seen something like this before? No, no, I had not seen anything. And yes, I was shocked. And just to tell you the significance of this, Bill contacted Apple and iPhone users worldwide got an urgent message from Apple saying, update your software. It went from this one little text message to this worldwide story. And so we reached out to Ahmed Mansour. Mansour is in the UAE. And we do this Skype interview with him. What, what were the opinions that got the government there so upset? Or, or what was so offensive? I was one of the initiators of uh, uh, a petition that called for uh, democratic reform in 2011. And that apparently provoked them uh, a lot. What's the reality and the risk of, of this kind of software and this kind of surveillance? Well, the, the risk is huge, really. I mean, there are so many people that were arrested uh, in UAE and in other parts of the region. Uh, and we suspe suspect that they were arrested after some sort of a uh, intrusion into their devices. So that was 2016 and I spoke to Mansour. And then what happened? It turns out he actually gets charged by the UAE government for basically speaking out against them. He gets sentenced to 10 years in prison. The government says his crime was using social media to spread false and misleading information. He's been in solitary and his health is declining. So who was doing this to him? Who had gotten into his phone? The UAE government brought in some former NSA officials and spies, and they were hacking Mansour as well. They had taken over his baby monitor in his house. Wow. They had taken over his baby monitor. Pegasus was just one of the ways they were hacking him. Pegasus is capable of uh, exfiltrating a large variety of information from the phone. This is your computer friend, Bill Marzak, again, and what he says is really interesting. He's explaining how Pegasus works and why this particular software is so insidious. Anything you type in apps or SMS, uh, any phone calls you have, whether they're on the regular phone itself or in an app like WhatsApp or Viber or Skype, I can hook into those apps and basically get your voice, your picture, and anything that you that you type, including passwords. Even in encrypted communication programs like Signal? That's correct. That's correct. I, my mouth is agape because this is really deep in the world of 
espionage and, and, and cyber, cyber crime, cyber security. How can you describe there's, there's a secret cyber world and then there's everyone else in the universe that we know about? Mm-hmm. That second group, nobody had heard of Pegasus. Pegasus is, is it's just a software suite that allows, that, that, uh, allows an operator uh, from any country to basically they target somebody by sending them really specific text. Uh, these aren't just like click here for a cell or click here for the weather. This is like, uh, hey, Malika, I'm, I'm, I'm worried someone's targeting your house because they're outside your door right now. I, I took a little secret photo of them. You know, click here to see it. Maybe you know the person. Wow. So it's personalized, and that will make you want to click because you're like, this is, this is real. This is for Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you don't click, they'll just keep doing it um, until, you know, you, you do click. Once you do click, forget about it. It's over. You can't find Pegasus on your phone, but they can control everything. Turning on your microphone whenever they want, your GPS whenever they want, going through all of your messages. They can send messages as you to sources that they found in your phone. So say you have a source in your phone and you've given them an anonymous name and they say, meet me at this coffee shop. I have something I need to tell you. Then the source shows up and it's government officials who are waiting. So how did you get started with this investigation? Because I'm guessing you didn't just knock on the door of the company behind this. Or did, or did you? <laughs> you should see. I wish our, our listeners could see Josh's face. Yeah, I did actually end up knocking on a door. Um, it was of one of the founders. His name is Omri Levy, and he's one of the founders of the NSO group. A few things you should know about them. Uh, they're Israeli-based. Um, they're made up of a lot of former members of uh, this unit, this Israeli unit called uh, 8200, Unit 8200, which is a military unit that is renowned for basically cyber spying. It's these soldiers from this intelligence agency who are responsible for tracking and blackmailing the Palestinians. These guys got out of the military and they became part of this NSO group, but the journey began long before that, and it began with us talking to people who had been targeted. So who has been targeted? This starts with software from Israel. We've talked about the UAE, and there are more countries and more people. Yes. This is considered a type of weapon. That's why the Ministry of Defense in Israel has to approve the sales of it. Citizen Lab, they have found it's like their servers operating in at least 45 countries. That doesn't mean 45 countries have bought it because you can be an operator in Saudi Arabia using Pegasus on someone in Canada and you'd show up in in both places. So we don't know how many countries have bought it. But the the country where it's become probably the most public story is Mexico. And that's important because it ends up being really telling about one of the lines that NSO gives, that they can shut off a bad actor at the source. So tell us about the bad actor that Mexico was targeting, because you went down there. Yeah, we started in Mexico City, and we ended up going to Sinaloa. NSO claims that their product was used in capturing El Chapo. In the trial of infamous Mexican drug lord Joaquin Guzman, El Chapo, as is also known, has been found guilty on all counts. The famous... Sinaloan drug cartel leader, 
Joaquin Guzman. So NSO also kind of claims along those lines that Pegasus has saved thousands of lives uh, thwarting terrorist attacks around the world. That's one of the few public things that, that they'll say about it. But in Mexico, what happened was that you remember the 43 students who, who disappeared? Right. Yeah. Five years ago, they were students on a bus trip. It was a case that horrified Mexico. 43 students pulled off of buses by corrupt Mexican police working with a criminal gang. They were never seen alive again. Mexico was investigating that not very well, and there was a lot of internal frustration over that. And so they invited in these international investigators to look into it. And those international investigators were targeted with Pegasus. Some of the family members of the victims were targeted. Their lawyers who were representing family members of the victims were targeted. And basically the same time period, Mexico's most famous investigative journalist, Carmen Aristegui, was targeted. So they targeted her with texts. What did those texts say? Uh, hey, there's a van parked outside of your house. A little nervous for you. I took a picture of the plates. Like, you know, how do you not click on that? So she clicks on it, which puts all her sources at risk, which puts other journalists at risk, which puts her at risk. Around this time, she had revealed a kind of a corruption scandal around the president at the time, Nieto. Mexico's president until just last year. And shortly thereafter, was targeted with Pegasus, and so was her son, Emilio, who was a teenager studying at a high school in the U.S. Talking about how personalized these texts can be, the son got a text about a visa issue. He's in the U.S., trying to stay in the U.S. to study, So who did these phone hackers say they were when they were texting him? They were from the U.S. consulate. Okay. So just to be clear about that, we're talking about a foreign spyware being used by a foreign government on U.S. soil against a minor. And no one has ever been held to account for that. So just trying to connect the dots here, we're talking about Israeli spyware being used by Mexico, and this is against a kid in the United States. So were you able to find out what was going on? It turns out Citizen Lab out of University of Toronto, uh, which goes back to Bill. and Bill uh, Marzak. That's right. They have been tracking Pegasus through those years. Basically, Pegasus uses a set of servers around the world, and they knew what servers they, it uses, so that if they can find the link and see what server it's pinging, then they know that this is an NSO group server. So they were able to identify it in that way. It became a national scandal in Mexico, and the Mexican government said, that, you know, publicly, we're going to investigate the use of Pegasus, we we're serious about this, and they had this... Uh, federal agency down there. It's basically like our FBI. And uh, the FBI said, you know, we, we want to investigate it. And in fact, we're going to invite the U.S. FBI to come in and help us. And the U.S. FBI looked at it and said, well, uh, this doesn't make sense. You're the one who signed the contract for it, that very agency. How can you investigate yourself? So the Mexican federal investigators bought Pegasus and they were trying to investigate their own department for then using it. So what happened? Mexico says it's deleted it off its servers with no way to verify that. Um, there's, there's no evidence to show that. And so, and no one's been held to account. Did people stop getting hacked by Pegasus? 
Well, in 2017 in Sinaloa, this journalist who founded this paper there called Rio Doce, Javier Valdez, gets gunned down right outside of his office. And they take his computer and phone. Within 10 days, at least two of his colleagues at the newspaper and his widow are targeted with Pegasus. This is like two years after this other scandal with Pegasus had become international news about what's happening in Mexico. So clearly NSO didn't shut off whoever was using it. They were still using it, and they were still targeting journalists and victims of crime. We've talked about this. What they say is this is a military weapon to be used against bad guys, right? It's only supposed to be used against terrorist cartel leaders, really high-level human traffickers. And here we have evidence being used against journalists, lawyers, human rights activists. So this is a clear case that someone should be shut off at the source. It's a chance for NSO to prove its own talking point. And how are the people you spoke to in Mexico doing now? Uh, you know, speaking to the widow of the journalist, Javier Vadas, who was killed. Her name's Griselda. She looked at me and said, the feeling of being watched always remains. You know, this just feels like a, I don't know, your phone gets hacked. Maybe doesn't seem like such an emotional story, but for the people that we spoke to, um, you know, it, it was emotional. They felt violated. It felt personal. Um, and it felt dangerous. And that wasn't the only murder investigation Pegasus has been linked to. Beyond doubt, that is how Turkish authorities have described the evidence they have that Jamal Khashoggi was murdered by a Saudi hit squad. Sources close to the, investigation uh, the, the murder of Saudi dissident journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Jamal Khashoggi went into the Saudi consulate in Istanbul last year and never came out. We don't know if he was targeted with Pegasus because we don't have his phone. Um, A few of his friends had been targeted with Pegasus that came out after the fact. And you spoke to a Saudi rights activist who was one of those targeted with Pegasus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Siri. This is the Khashoggi associate. If he wants to write an article, sometimes he asks me about some suggestions or asks about some information. And this was a pretty intimate conversation. He was crying when he showed me his last messages with Khashoggi. And the message was maybe through a personal message to MBS, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, that we could appeal to his better angels, saying, if you release political prisoners, this would look really good for you in the world press. And he said in his message, maybe you will feel it is silly or useless, but please let's try. Maybe we can awake his conscience. And that's Jamal. He's not enemy for anyone. He was trying to get reform. That's the last, the last time that Yaya would talk to uh, Khashoggi. Sorry. For Yaya, this 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 danger of being hacked by Pegasus was really present because he's now he's a former Saudi Air Force officer who was exiled from the country for his own safety, living in London, and he works to get information out about this crackdown that has happened since MBS rose to power. 
The only way he can really get information out of the country is people with smartphones who are willing to get the information to him. The, hacking his phone not only puts him at risk, it puts everyone in the country that's trying to get this information out at risk. I, I want to go back to the part of your investigation where you went to New Jersey to the home of Omri Levy, the guy who started the company that makes this software. All right, let's see if Omri's home. And knocked on his door. What happened? We wanted to sit down with NSL. We wanted to talk to him and have a, a, a proper discussion. They denied that. So uh, I found the, one of the founders at his home. Here he is. Omri, can we ask you a few questions? And I, I went and knocked on his door. Hey, I'm a journalist. You know, I told him who I was. I'm Josh Rushing with Fault Lines. Can we ask you just a few questions? Can I ask you a question? No. And he said, this is private property. Private property. So I would ask you kindly to go away. Uh, Just one statement. Like, why do you continue to sell to governments that use Pegasus to target human rights activists and journalists? Say, go away or I'll call the police. And shut the door. Which is, it's kind of a a nothing interaction except for... uh, I think him feeling like his privacy being violated seemed ironic to me as he's making hundreds of millions of dollars off of allowing countries to violate the privacy of people around the world. I'll be honest, I'm a little worried. Should her listeners be worried? Should you and I be worried? Are there steps now that you take since reporting this that are different than what you might have done before? You know, watch for weird texts, watch your WhatsApp the most recent version of Pegasus no longer needs you to click on a link. If you get a weird phone call on WhatsApp, you don't even have to answer. They can take over your phone. But unless you are some kind of journalist, human rights lawyer, a dissident, you probably don't have to worry about it. Pegasus is an expensive piece of software. They pay by license, meaning by number of targets that, that they want to use it against. So they're not going to just use it on anyone. Um, and the other thing is, unless you're really technically savvy, you know, good luck stopping it. I mean, I think at this point, you just have to assume that if someone wants information on on your phone, that they can probably get it. There's clearly not a lot that I can do or that you can do to protect ourselves from Pegasus. But is there anyone else doing something about this? Citizen Lab in uh, at the University of Toronto, they're certainly doing something just by tracking it, by making it known. Society, and, and, and particularly in the, the society around international law, has not kept up with these kind of cyber developments. But there's also another effort, and it's a series of lawsuits that are happening that have been filed across the world in places like Israel, Cyprus. And that kind of awareness is the last thing that NSO or NSO customers want. They want to be able to do this without you knowing about it. So the more we can report on it, the more we can keep it in the public, the better it is really for everyone. So the documentary is out, targeted by a text. Does that mean that you are done and dusted with this story, or where does your reporting go next? We know that uh, one of the founders, Omri Levy, is in the U.S. trying to sell it to U.S. agencies. We know he's demonstrated it to the Drug Enforcement Agency. I, I can't prove it, but I would bet my last dollar that that's not the only government agency that he's demonstrated it for. 
So we're trying to follow up and see what Omri Levy is doing in the U.S., and we're still reporting on that. Thank you so much, Josh Rushing, for taking the time out to talk us through this, scare us a little bit, but inform us as well. Always good talking to you. You too, Malika. Thanks for having me. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Ney Alvarez, Dina Kispe, Morgan Waters, Priyanka Tilve, Alexandra Locke, and me, Malika Bilal. Natalia Aldana is the social media producer. Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. A special thanks to Josh Rushing, his producer, Mark Shala, and the rest of the Fault Lines team. You can check out their documentary on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed to our show yet, go to aljazeera.com slash the take. You can find subscribe links there. And if social media is more your thing, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You'll find us at AJ the take. And if you liked the show, tell your friends, have them listen and subscribe too. We'll be back next week.